please stand. The uh, title of this song is Who is Like the Lord Our God? It's a praise song. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of our Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high? Who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord.
Uh, Father, that's why we are here. We're here to acknowledge that you are God and that you deserve our worship, our praise, our love, our service. Because look at what you've done for us. And <clears throat> talk about that a little later. But you have done everything for us. And uh, so we're here just to lift you up. So I pray that you would help us, help Sharon in the hospital, you know, worship. May you, may she know your presence. And, and I, like I've been praying, just hold her hand, you know, through this as you're with all of us. And we just pray that you would use this service for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you're seated, this is a good time to walk around, shake a hand. Maybe that'll help warm you up a bit. <laughs> <laughs> As uh, Dave read for us from Psalm 113, it uh, it really is a it's a great psalm. It's uh, you know praise the Lord, O servants of the Lord, praise His name, blessed is the name from this time forth and forever, from the rising of the sun to its setting. You know, the Lord is to be praised. Now, why? Because he looks, he humbly looks down at us and he helps us. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. He makes them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He makes the barren woman abide in the house as a joyful mother of children. You know, and you read that, <clears throat> Or I read that and I realize what God does, what God can do. And so that is why the scriptures are full, that we are to praise him, not only for who he is, but what he does. So before we do this next song, up there already, uh, what, what do you want to praise him for? What has God done for you? Anybody? He woke me up today. Well, amen. You know that the that you know that that is so true. Uh, for some of us, uh, <clears throat> as I'm recovering from whatever this is I've got, uh, you know I get woken up at one o'clock, three o'clock, and whatever o'clock. But uh, such is life. But God is good, is He not? Yes. So this song Jesus. is is the pardon Jesus. Jesus. We're asking praises for our Savior. So, short story from yesterday. So, I'm on the front porch. This is where I, I hang out. And uh, after I had breakfast, I listened to a couple of podcasts. And uh, one of them was talking about Jesus. That's good. So, I'm looking at this tree across, just across our driveway. So, what's that, 10, 15, 20 feet away? And I realize, and this is something that I, it just began to hit me recently. Since I grew up in church, I have heard about Jesus and his death on the cross forever. And, and you know, we love it. And, all, except, and so yesterday, I'm looking at this tree, and I realize somewhere in Jerusalem, there was, well, it was the cross. But one guy, one man, was killed on that cross. But because of who he was, God, Jesus, and, what, and why he did that to pay for the sins of his children, I'm forgiven, placing my faith in him, which means that I have a place in heaven 
forever and ever. You know, before Sharon went into surgery, we talked, <clears throat> since I, I, you know, I told her I would come visit you, but I don't know if they'll let me in with my cold. So uh, we read the 23rd Psalm. It's one of her favorites, you know, and uh, you realize this is what we praise God for. He's my shepherd, makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me, leads me besides quiet, still waters, restores my soul, picks me up every time I fall, leads me in the paths of righteousness, comforts, comforts me when I go through tough times, provides for me table and all that stuff. So because the Lord is my shepherd, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. For that and much more, let's praise him.
course, Lord, we know that you have promised to do that. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But this is the prayer of our heart. This is the prayer of saying, Lord, I know you're not going to, but I, I just need you to stay with me, and I want to stay with you. Life doesn't really make any sense without you. And so, Father, we, we are here to acknowledge that this morning. We realize that on our own, we can't foil temptation's power. On our own, we can't, we can't deal with even, even every passing hour, the ebb and flow of life, and, and certainly, uh, you know, the death and the grave before us. We can't deal with any of that on our own. But with you, as our good shepherd, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are abiding with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so at the end of that psalm, David says, Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. Why? Because you will never leave me nor desert me. But my prayer is, oh God, this is what I need and this is what I... I'm asking I'm coming before you. And of course, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So Lord, as we gather this morning, uh, we gather as humble people because we recognize our need. Sometimes we don't even know we have it, but you have a way of showing it to us. And I thank you for that. I, I thank you for the little bits that you know, I was listening to a number of podcasts yesterday, and there's a little bit from this one and a little bit from that one, and it's like, oh, Lord, thank you. I needed that. And, and I pray that whenever we gather together, you know, we come expecting God to speak to us, and, and it may be through just a greeting of someone. It may be, you know, a word on a screen. It may be part of a song. It may be, you know, part of the sermon or the word of God. Whatever it is, God speaks and we should say, oh, thank you, Lord, I needed that. So we depend upon you. And Lord, of course, this morning our hearts are, are concerned about so many people. We think of Sharon, who's there in the hospital, and it's, it's been a long goal for her life. But here's a lady that loves you. Here's a lady that serves you. And I don't... I, it's hard to find somebody with a bigger, caring, giving heart. Amen. And uh, so we, we are so thankful for Sharon. And uh, I know that this is not where she would like to be, but I, I pray that they will, you will enable the, uh, the medical people to fix her. We recognize you are the great healer. We recognize you can heal her. And, and you know, in fact, we would pray, Lord, raise her up. It may everybody just be a marvel and say, you know, God did this. But we know that you work through all kinds of means, and one of them is even through our medical people. So just help her today. May, may she have a sense that she's been prayed for and how much you love her. And we pray that she can recover now from this second surgery, and this will have, uh, have fixed the, the problem, and she can be back with us soon. I pray for her daughter. I pray for her family. I pray for all of our NAMI folks that so greatly miss her. And Lord, I just pray that uh, you would minister to her. And then we pray for Paula. I don't know what the situation is this morning, but you know, here's a dear lady that too has had a, a tough life and all kinds of things going on, but, but she's reaching out to you. I know the time we were here and we prayed 
She greatly appreciated that. And so, Lord, I just pray that whatever's going on with her, you would help her. And, and whoever else comes to our mind, you know, that you would help them. We pray for peace of Israel. We pay, pray for, you know, peace in Ukraine and the Russians. We pray for peace in our country. We pay, pray for peace in our, in, our, in our state, in our county, in our city, and wherever it is. And we know that you are the Prince of Peace. So we know that the way to peace is for people to come to you. And we pray that you would draw them. But Lord, you are so great. You are so great. And uh, we're here to offer you praise. And we will worship you with all our heart. We'll praise you with all our strength. Help us do that. You know, I, I go through the scriptures and I'm reading along and I'll, I'll read a thing like this. Praise the Lord always. And I say, Lord, help me do that. Help me do, that's what I want to do. Help me do that. Help us worship you with all our hearts. Help us praise you with all our strength. Help you seek you in all my, for all my days. And help us truly follow you in all your, your ways. Pray to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand as we sing?
Now we're going to see that right now, why this is so important. So bless your word and help us listen, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So turn to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. Soon as I, here you go. I'm using a, uh, one of my newer Bibles, because hey, my Bible's falling apart. <coughs> this one has thinner pages, which is hard to turn, but <coughs> I'm hoping it'll slow me down. Because I know I, I, get, I can get going. <coughs> Psalm 100, I was thinking about this the other day. Ah, uh, sums it all up. This, this psalm really says it all. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. And then serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. And you would say, why? Why are we here? Why, why should we shout joyfully to the Lord? Why should we serve him with gladness? Why should we come before him with joyful singing? Well, here's why. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. The reason we worship and praise God is because he made us. He's the God of the universe. He made everything. He is the issue. Of everything in life, of all the distractions, Two big football games to get today, etc., etc., etc. He is the issue because he's the creator. And so we want to be careful that we shout joyfully before him. We serve the Lord with gladness. We come before him with joyful singing. He's our creator. We enter his gates with thanksgiving. In his courts with praise, we give thanks to him because the Lord is good. And his loving kindness is everlasting. And his faithfulness is to all generations. So we need to spend, to, to pay special attention to our spiritual life. We all spend attention to our physical life. We were talking this morning about, you know, keeping our pills separated from the morning to the evening and all that. I mean, I think probably everybody in here is taking some. <laughs> and uh, <coughs> I went a long time and now I'm it's catching up. Anyway, uh, we, so we take care of ourselves. You know, we, we go to the doctor. And, and sometimes us men, we're kicking and screaming. But, you know, that's why God gave me a helpmate. So we did go, again, to the doctor. And I got some antibiotic or whatever to get over this cold. I do this every year. I mean, at least the last two years. <clears throat> and so we take care of ourselves. You go to the dentist when your teeth hurt. So that they, you don't get, they don't fall out or get pulled and you have no teeth, etc., etc. We, we spend a lot of time caring for our physical life. But then, you know, we need to spend more attention on our spiritual life. Because, if you're, because for one, God made you. And for one, because he made us, he, he expects us to shout joyfully before him to serve him with with gladness to come before him with joyful singing and all. Because he, he, he's our creator. It's very important. Go to the next book. Well, not the next book. The book after. Next book is Proverbs. Find the book of Ecclesiastes. This is why this is so very, very important. 
The book of Ecclesiastes can be a challenge. Uh, so if, I, if you're going to read it, read it all in one setting and then go back. Get the full picture and then go back. If you just read little bits at a time, you can get lost. But this is how Solomon ends the book of Ecclesiastes. And this is really the description. I, 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 used, to, I used to get a kick out of reading the first part of chapter 12, which is the description of old age, until I got there. <laughs> now I just assume, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I get to the end. Well, here's the end. Verse 13, the conclusion... And you can, and Solomon said, the conclusion to all of life, when all has been heard, is fear God for one reason, he's the creator, and he made you. Fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden whether it is good or evil. We need to spend more time on our spiritual life and our spiritual health. And of course we know the way we do that, now let's go to the New Testament. We'll go back to James. We know that uh, in 2 Timothy, Paul tells us that the, all scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for our spiritual health, for rebuke, for correction, for instruction, for training in righteousness, that we would be fully equipped, prepared for every good, so that we would be spiritually healthy. God has given us his word. Part of that is what Jesus' half-brother gives us in the book of James. And, and it, it's, a, it's a crucial book when you think about our spiritual health. When you think about the fact that, every, that we're going to die and we're going to stand before our Creator someday and give an account of how well we did with his commandments. And so James is telling us what true faith looks like. The true faith, the faith that, that saves is the faith that works. Verse 14 of chapter 2. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? In other words, a person says, I believe in God. Well, he's about to say the demons believe in Shudder. Okay, that's a good start. But a person says, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But there is no change to their life. If you were really to get down to the nitty-gritty, down to where the rubber meets the road, you'd realize they're living for themselves. They're living and they're praising themselves. They have really made themselves their own God. And they say, yeah, I got faith, but there's nothing to back it up. James asks, can that faith save him? And, and the rest of that chapter says, no. There needs to be evidence of your faith. There needs to be God working your faith. And we went through that the last couple of weeks. And he says, a faith that works, rather a faith that saves, will have evidence. He calls them works. For example, Abraham was justified by his works and not by faith alone. How? Well, when he offered up Isaac on the altar. He believed God. Didn't make any sense. But I believe you, Lord, and I will follow directions. See, his faith in God was demonstrated by what he did. Second illustration was Rahab. 
Rahab was a harlot, was justified by works when she received, this is verse 25 of chapter 2, when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. And so she had to believe God. Because look at the, at the end of the day, <coughs> Joshua chapter 2 is a great statement because she says, she tells the spies when they show up, look at, we know about your God. We have heard what your God has done. And we're scared to death. And so she hid the spies. And they said, look at, because you've shown us kindness, when we come back, we'll, you know, you will be saved if you let this scarlet cord out of your window and you gather into your house all those you want saved. And when the wall, and well, she didn't know at that point, but when the walls fall down, you will be okay. So she had not only to believe that with faith, okay, yeah, I believe that's, but she had to act upon it. She had to make sure the rope was hanging out of the window. She had to make sure all her loved ones and friends that she wanted saved were in the house. That was her work. We come to chapter 3, and we come to another work that will prove your faith. And that is, what do you do with your tongue? That thing in your mouth that, uh, that God put there that we speak with. And that's the whole point. Our speech will, will, will show us whether we have faith or not. That's the whole point of chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. It's another work. How you speak. Listen. Chapter 3, verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we stumble in many ways, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, and we direct their entire body as well, and look at the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds and still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very word of iniquity. The tongue is set among the members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men, who has been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessings and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? And can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can, nor can salt water produce fresh. The tongue, what we speak, how we use our, our tongue, 
will become an evidence of our faith, is a work of our faith. We're going to notice four judgments, rather four truths, and then four actions based on that truth. So to kind of sum up these 12 verses. So there'll be four truths presented, and then what do you do with that? Okay, here's the action that needs to go with that truth. First one is, the first truth is judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Verse 1, let not many of you teacher become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we as teachers will incur a stricter judgment. Be careful that you don't want to get up there and start and want to be a Bible teacher and a preacher because, you know, it looks good. I mean, you would rather be speaking than out there trying to stay awake, right? I mean, so, uh, but be careful because a teacher is using their tongue to say something. And you want to be careful what you say because as we are up here as teachers of you know, sent from God, we are responsible to God for what we say. So I don't want to jump into this quickly because teachers will incur a stricter judgment. As an illustration, find the book of Ezekiel. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 3. <clears throat> In Ezekiel chapter 3, God is speaking to Ezekiel as a teacher. He's a prophet, but as a listen to how he puts it. The Lord says in Ezekiel 3, verse 17, Son of man, God is speaking. I have appointed you as a watchman. In other words, you are the teacher. You're, and a teacher is the, kind of like the watchman. Watch this. To the house of Israel, whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. That's what a teacher of the Bible does. That's all we're supposed to do. Is listen to the word of God and share it to people. And for pastors, it's to feed my flock, as Jesus told uh, Peter. We are to feed the flock. We, God, is, God is ordained. This is the way God has set it up. That, that his teachers and pastor teaching uh, elders would feed the flock as we hear from God's mouth, we give it to you. Verse 18. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you do not warn them or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way that he may live, and that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, by his blood I will require, but his blood I will require at your hand. In other words, stricter judgment. I gave you a message. And you didn't proclaim it, or you changed it. <clears throat> Famous illustration, I think this fits. God's the cook. People are the eaters or the customers. <clears throat> the waiter would be the teacher. God says, this goes to table 14, this is what they need. And, and he says, take this plate to table 14. Trust me, I'm, I'm the chef, I know everything. So, you know, on there, well, okay, they need broccoli, they need, they need carrots, they need, oh, there may be a steak, there may be fish, there may be whatever they need. <coughs> and so you're walking to table 14, and you say, hey, I know these people. They're not going to like this. They're, they're not going to like what the chef has prepared. So the broccoli, we're going to toss that on the way. We're not going to do the broccoli. This or that or other thing, you know, we're going to pour a bunch of stuff on it. Where's the ketchup? 
We're trying to drown this in ketchup. They'll never know what it is. What God is saying is if you mess with my word and you don't tell men and women, boys and girls, that they are sinners and that God is holy and that there's nothing they can do about their sin, if you don't tell them that, and then if you don't tell them the good news that God took care of that, he sent Jesus to die for sin, there he goes, and if you accept him, he'll forgive. If you don't tell them the straight message, and they say, well, why, if I'm not in any trouble, why do I need God? That's the problem today with people that will water down the gospel because nobody wants to be told they're wrong. Yet you realize as you go through the word of God, it always gives us the bad news first and then the good news. And the reason it's bad news is because we are sinners. It's reality. What he is saying, if you don't tell them that and they die in their sin, I'm holding you accountable. And yet if you warn the wicked and he still doesn't turn from his wicked way or from his evil way, wicked way, and dies in his iniquity, but you have delivered yourself. Why? Because you gave him my message. You take the, the plate from the kitchen to table 14, the way it was, if they don't eat it, it's on them. But if you, if you alter that or don't even show up, it's on you. Back to James 1. So you see, you know, part of our whole tongue thing, especially for teachers, there's going to be a very strict judgment. We want to make sure that we understand that. So the truth presented, judgment is coming. The action required, we need to heed that warning. And we're going to see, man, if God holds teachers accountable for what they say, maybe I'm not a teacher, but maybe i got to be careful what I say. Oh, that's coming. Number two, in verses four, rather, in verses, uh, what is, oh, that's a two. <laughs> in, verses, <coughs> in verses two through four, he tells us about control. This is amazing. Look at verse two. And we all stumble in many ways. Amen. Not you, but you can say, yeah, I, preacher, you do. I got it. I do. I'll admit that. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says. So in other words, if you don't trip over what you say, it doesn't mean you're perfect in what you say, but it means as the, as the flow of your life, if you basically don't stumble over what you say, then you, he is a perfect man, teleos. He is a perfected man. He is a mature man. I mean, you've got it together. See, this is why we started with making sense of your spiritual life and things to work on. This is one thing to work on, your speech. If you can control your tongue, the scripture says you are able to, to uh, bridle the whole body as well. Amazing principle. Just as you put a bit in the horse's mouth and lead it wherever it goes, the bit is very small compared to a horse. True? The rudder of a ship is very small compared to the humongous nature of a ship. And yet it leads the entire thing. It says same thing with your tongue. Be careful how you use it. So the truth is, if you can control your tongue, it's what Scripture says, you're able to control everything, and you're going to be in good shape. So that's the truth. That's the truth presented. What's the action required? Embrace the goal. Say, ah, that is true. Lord, help me do that. Help me do that. Help me be conscious of 
watching my speech. And we'll show you how to do that at the end. Just help me embrace, say, oh, this is important, Lord. Help me do that. Truth number three. The tongue is dangerous. The tongue is dangerous. There's a judgment coming. Con control, if you can control it, you, you're in good shape. But it's dangerous. Verse 5. So the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. See how great a force is set aflame by such a small fire. Since we live up here in fire country, we're not going to elaborate on that, right? We got it. Uh, and the tongue is a fire, verse 6, the very word of iniquity, the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. The, the tongue not only will direct and guide, but it will destroy. We have all been hurt by words that somebody has spoken to us or about us. I mean, it hurts. And we have also been encouraged and lifted up by words spoken to us. So we know that the tongue is a powerful weapon, but it is dangerous. It is dangerous. And it can destroy. You can destroy somebody by your speech. Verbal abuse is a very real and very uh, disastrous thing needs to be taken care of. Find Matthew chapter 12. Now there's another reason why this is so important. Matthew chapter 12. <coughs> so we've just seen teachers are to be careful because they are going to have a stricter judgment. They've been given by God to God's people to teach them, to warn them, to encourage them. You want to be careful what you say. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is addressing his teachers, the Pharisees. And uh, what happens in verse 22 through 29 is Jesus cast out a demon. In verse 24, the Pharisees say, well, he cast out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. And Jesus is demonstrating who he is, God. And his religious leaders are saying, no, 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 that's from the devil. Jesus says that kind of sin is unforgivable. But let's skip down to verse 33. Still speaking up, so remember that's the context. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its, foot, and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruits. Now, does that sound familiar? Your faith is known by its fruits. Your faith is known by its works. Your life is known by your fruit or what you do. He says to, the, to his religious leaders, verse 34, you brood of vipers. That's not, a, that's not a complimentary term. How can you, being evil, speak what is good? So he cuts right through them. All through the Gospels, his entire life, because they were evil. Read Matthew 23. You hypocrites. Outside, you, you clean it up. You look very nice. But inside, you're full of dead man's bones and all kinds of sin. You're covering up. You're covering up. 
You know, it's the key to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.20, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Because in Matthew 23, he says, they're not entering the kingdom of heaven. But now watch this. So he says, you know, uh, you brood of vipers, how can you be evil? Speak what is good. Here comes back to the tongue. For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. That's the issue, one of the main issues with the tongue. The tongue will give you away. What you say comes from within. So, that's how we judge ourselves. What do you say? Well, what is your reaction? What do you say when you hit your thumb with the hammer? Okay, that may be a one-off or whatever, but still, I mean, what do you say? Or what do you say when you get mad? Or what do you say whenever? I mean, I've known quote-unquote believers that stuff comes out of their mouth and I stand there and go, really? How, how does that work? Well, the sad thing is our tongue speaks from the heart. What's that sh what that is showing is either you are not a believer and God's never changed your heart and that's just who you are, or you are really struggling and you need help to work on this area. You're not working on it hard enough. The good man brings, verse 35, brings out of his good treasure what is good. The evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. <coughs> and then verse 36. I tell you, every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Because your words will reveal what's on the inside. Wow. What a truth. What a truth. Recognize the tongue is evil. What's our... What's our... Uh, it's dangerous, so what's our action? We need to recognize that. We, rec we need to recognize speech is important. What comes out of my mouth is important. What comes out of my friend's mouth is important. To, to a great degree, you know, it's a judgment we can make on people. Look at if you profess to be a believer <coughs> in your speech. I mean, what's all this? Number four, truth. We've seen that there's judgment coming, so heed the warning. We've seen that if you can control the tongue, you control everything. Embrace the goal. We've seen that the tongue is dangerous, so realize that danger Number four, we're going to see the tongue is untamable. Oh, man. <coughs> so you said all that, and there's no hope? Well, watch. Verse seven, for every species of beasts and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. By the way, Genesis 1 and 2, that's what we were supposed to do. But, verse eight, James 3, 8, no one, so guess what? That's me and that's you. No one can tame the tongue. Now we need to, we need to, but we can't do it. No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse, excuse me, men who have been made in the likeness of God, from the same mouth comes forth blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. 
You cannot speak this way. In fact, just skip over to chapter 1, verse 26. Chapter 1 of James, verse 26. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle or control his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Your tongue will give you away. Your tongue will give you away. So he says, there's a, <clears throat> you know, what, what in the world's going on here? Can the fountain string, you know, come forth fresh and bitter water? No. Can a fig tree or, or my brethren produce olives or a vine produce figs? No. Nor shall salt water produce fresh. In other words, it comes from the inside. You can't change it. We must change it. Things are not out of me. God's going to hold me accountable. It's untamable is the truth. So what's, what do I do? Submit to God. Recognize, I can't do it, Lord. Here I am. Help. Flip the page to chapter 4. Chapter 4, we'll see this. Verse 6. He gives greater grace. Therefore, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. In other words, realize, I can't change this. It is a mess. I can't control my body. I can't control my tongue. It's out of control. It's, you know, maybe not as bad as somebody else, but oh my goodness. And you come before God, and then you, verse 10, humble yourself in the presence of God, and he will exalt you. Since our speech is so important, we will be judged for it. It gives away what's on the inside, and we can't fix it. We come to God so he can fix it. Guess what? Just like everything in our life. David, when he was praying his great prayer of confession, man of God, Scripture says so. Great king of Israel, Scripture says so. Man who uh, wrote so many psalms, Jesus comes from the line of David. I mean, it's all, David is a huge character. And he was also a huge sinner. He had, he had a lot of women. And one day when, you know, 2 Samuel, I think, 11, when he was supposed to be at war, he wasn't. Saw a beautiful woman bathing because you know he's the he's the uh, yeah Second Samuel eleven. He's the king, so his his house is a little higher than anybody. He's looking up, and there's a woman bathing in, in on top of her roof. Now you could argue she shouldn't have been done that. I you forget that part. The part is he sees her, and instead of avoiding the second look, he looks. And he looks. If he had binoculars, he would have gone and gotten them. And he says, whoa, I like that. And he looked and looked at it. And he said, who is that? He calls his guy. He said, that's Uriah's wife. You bring her to me. And of course, they bring her to him. They have an affair. She becomes pregnant. He has her husband killed. I mean, it's a mess, right? What a huge sin. Finally, he's confronted by God, by the prophet Nathan. And in Psalm 51, he pours out his heart to God. 
You know, and, and this is this is what you do with your sin. You come and you say, Be gracious to me, O God, verse 1, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out your my transgression. O Lord, wash me from my iniquity and cleanse my me from sin, for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Guilt is a terrible thing, but it's a good thing when it drives us to our knees before God to say this. Verse 4, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. And you know what? David is praying for, for forgiveness. He's praying for now. He's in the Old Testament. So we know that the Holy Spirit came upon people and left people. And, and, and it's throughout the Old Testament. And so he's, he's experienced God's presence and God's joy. And he knows that sin has, has, has kind of, <clears throat> has really put a damper on that. And he doesn't want God to leave him in that sense. We don't do that in the New Testament because the Holy Spirit, because of Christ, has, has come and paid for sin, ascended to heaven. We get the Holy Spirit. It's in us forever. Now, we can dampen it, we can grieve it, but it, it will never leave. So this part of the prayer we don't pray, but I think we can understand the passion of, of David, and he understands the problem. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart. He said, where did that come from? Adultery and murder. My heart. Where does my foul language come from? My heart. So create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. David is remembering the Old Testament. So all of this was a promise for him. Ezekiel chapter 36 was yet to come. Today, because of Jesus, if you read the book of Hebrews, we'll tell you it's here. So we experience this. Listen to this. Here's God's answer for what we can't fix. Verse 26 of Ezekiel 36. 36, 26, hike. Sounds like football. No, no, I'm sorry. Today's a big day. Anyway, Ezekiel 36, 26. Moreover, God says, and he's talking to the nation of Israel. You read the book of Hebrews 7, 8, 9, and 10, especially. <clears throat> this is us. This is the church. Jesus at the communion service, the Last Supper, said, I want you to take this cup. This cup is, is to symbolize my blood of the new covenant. So this is us. We've got this. Moreover, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you because that's what we need. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. And see, that's what we need because we can't fix it. Nobody can tame the tongue. As we wrap this up, go to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> and I know when a preacher says, wrap this up, it's going to go for it. No, it won't. I'm, I'm, we're we're going we're gonna to wrap this up. Just, I'm just going to read these. I think they'll make sense to you. Ephesians 4, 28, 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear it. Mm -hmm. What's the next verse? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's working on your speech. So don't grieve him. Listen to him. Chapter 5. Mm -hmm. 
Verse 4. There must be no filthiness in silly talk or coarse gesturing which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. He's writing to Christians. You say you have faith in God. You say you've been redeemed. Now look, if you got the Holy Spirit within you, this is what he's working on. Let him. So how do I do that? Verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. The whole point is control. Don't be controlled by wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Just read, listen, pray, and obey. Oh God, help, here I go. Here I go. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. What's the first thing that Paul gives us as a result of being controlled by the Spirit? Speaking the tongue to one another in psalms and spiritual hymns, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you tame the tongue, by walking in the Spirit. But let me give you quickly how you do that. Number one, you've got to be saturated with the Word of God. You know, it, it's going to come back to, to the Word and prayer. Everything does. Why don't we just accept it? Psalm 119, verse 9, How can a young man keep his way pure? How can I deal with my tongue, Lord, keeping it according to the word of God? To the, to, keeping it according to your word. I'm going to follow direction. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit lead and guide me. Your word, if I treasure it in my heart, that I may not sin against God. What, what, what am I going to do? You know, <clears throat> Psalm 1. I, I'm not going to walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. I'm not going to stick around and listen to their speech. I've had the experience, I've worked with people that had lousy language. And you know what happens when you're around that eight hours a day? You begin to think that way. It is a battle. So don't hang out with it. Well, I mean, sometimes you don't have a choice if you're working, but, you know, I've actually said, would you mind not saying that, please? So what do we do? His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. You've got to fill your mind with what is good, with what is good. And then you come to Psalm 141, and this is the last one, even on the page here. Psalm 141, 3. Psalm 141, 3. And the whole psalm is great, but since we're out of time, I'll just read verse 3. This is David again. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, and keep watch over the door of my lips. Why? Because on my own, I can't tame the tongue. But you can, <coughs> and you will. And you have to, because you're holding me accountable. And, what, and if I got perverse language, it ought not to be this way. And if I can't tame my tongue to the power of the Holy Spirit, then I don't even have you. And all of this is worthless. So, Lord, here I am. In your word, praying like crazy. Keep my mouth shut when it needs to be shut. Keep it pure. Purify my word. Again, I'm thinking of when I was a janitor at, the, at our church. And one of, the, one of them, my fun jobs back in the 70s, 
was uh, since the Saturday, I would hose down the entire parking lot and hose down the gutter. Because right up the street was a pottery factory. And all this white stuff would be in the gutter everywhere. And so I wanted it clean for Sunday. And I'd, I'd hose it out. I'd, almost like I had a fire hose. And you know, and it worked. And I would think several times, God, this is what needs to happen in my mind. Flush out all that bad stuff with your word. And let's start from there. Father, we thank you for, for uh, such a clear word. I mean, it, it amazes me how, how uh, clear and precise the scripture is. Help us heed it. Help us realize that the judgment is coming. Help us heed the warning. Help us realize if we can tame our tongue, if we really work on this, we can, we can control our whole body. Help us embrace the goal. Help us realize the tongue is dangerous. It's a killer. May we know that. And may we realize we can't fix it. But you can. So may we submit yourself. Think about those words and then we'll close with, with this psalm actually taken from Psalm 51. <clears throat>
humbly submit to you because we can't fix it. In fact, spiritually speaking, we can't fix anything. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens. And I mean, that's the miracle of walking with you. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us with our tongues. May we be conscious of what we say. Help us, as they say, engage, engage brain before we speak. You know, as somebody said, no wonder, since our tongue is so deadly and so uh, easily used, as somebody says, it's in a wet place, so it's easily slip. It easily slips. Somebody said, no wonder God put the tongue in a cage behind the teeth, walled in by the mouth. Help us, help us just realize that. Be careful what we say. So, Lord, this is, you know, as we saturate with your word, and as we pray, may we watch you change our speech. I'm not saying we have terrible speech, but, but it could always be better. And Lord, we pray to that end in Jesus' name. Amen.